everybody, my name is Josh Gunter with the Gathering Springfield Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's our goal to equip the saints for the work of the ministry by teaching biblical truths and discussing topics that's relevant for us today. In this first season, we've been talking about the glorious return of Jesus Christ, which is a vital part of a gospel message. It's important to know in this generation what Christ taught about his return and the days leading up to it. So let's ask the Father to give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today through the Word of God. Hello again, it's another Wednesday, which means another episode in our podcast. Again, my name is Josh Gunner. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed this first season as we've been talking about the glorious return of Jesus Christ. If you're joining us for the first time, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to season one. Each episode builds on itself. What we're doing is we're going through the whole New Testament. We're studying every verse that talks about Christ's return in the last days. We started with the Gospels. Jesus had quite a few things to say, and then we walked through what the apostles taught, the early church, and now we're in the book of Revelation. In today's episode, we're in Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 13. There's a lot here to dive into. But before we do, I have a favor to ask of you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, if you're learning things about the return of Christ in the last days that maybe you didn't know, we would really appreciate it. If those of you who are on social media, maybe you can share this on your platforms, get the word out. We have this deep conviction that Jesus is wanting to get the message of his return back in the church. We have so neglected this message and the Spirit of God is urging the church to rediscover the truths about the last days. And so you can be a part of that by sharing this message, maybe encouraging some of your friends or a Bible study group to go through this podcast together, and that would be a great blessing to us and to also those uh, who might hear through your influence. So that we would greatly appreciate that. Today we're going to get into Revelation chapter 12 and chapter 13. And before we read it, I just want to say, these are a couple of the chapters where we see a lot of symbolism, we see a lot of imagery, but here's what we got to know about these symbols and these pictures that were given that John gives the church. Although there is symbolism here, these images are explaining and describing real events. Some like to think that the book of Revelation is just full of symbolism and pictures pictures and they really don't have any meaning. They're just talking about some spiritual truths. But I'd like to suggest to you that these things are not explaining just some spiritual truths, but these symbols that we read about are explaining and giving detail to very real events that are going to happen. And so they're given to us so that we may understand some of the things that are going to happen, some of the things that are going to take place in the last days. In these two particular chapters that we're going over today, we see some prophetic pictures, some vision that explains Satan and his plans in the last days. The book of Revelation isn't about Satan. It's not about the Antichrist or the tribulation, but it's about Jesus Christ and his plans to redeem mankind. The whole book is about revealing Jesus Christ and his lordship and his rule and his reign over the earth. But in it, we're also given details about the tribulation, about the Antichrist, and about Satan and some of his tactics and his plans. And here in chapter 12 and 13, we gain revelation about some of Jesus's enemies' tactics. In battle, there are two sides. And although the book is about Jesus, 
ruling and reigning and winning the battle, we also see some of the plans and the tactics of the enemy during this time. And that's what we read about here in Revelation chapter 12 and 13. We're getting some great revelation. Satan is a very real individual. Uh, Lucifer or the great dragon or the ancient serpent, which, whichever, whatever you want to call him, the deceiver, the accuser, uh, he, he comes by many names, but he is a very real individual. And in the last days, he is going to attack God's people in great fury and great wrath and the spirit through the Apostle John gives us some understanding of the things that he's going to do and his plan in hurting the people of God. And so I want to encourage you before we read this not to be scared, not to be discouraged, but it's important for us to go through these chapters so that we may be encouraged and have faith to lean in to the power of Jesus Christ during this time and so that we can be assured that we have victory even in the heat of the battle when the enemy seems to be winning in certain areas. Christ ultimately wins. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I hope you're as excited as I am about these chapters. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into it. Let's read Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 together. And a great sign appeared in heaven. So we need to know that this is a symbol. This is a sign. He is not saying that there's an actual woman in the sky. What he's saying is this is a prophetic sign. This is a symbol of something that is very real and obviously has meaning to it. So there's a great sign or symbol in the heavens. He says, A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. We kind of see the same imagery in the Old Testament when Joseph, if you remember, Jacob's favorite son, uh, Joseph, he had a dream that his father was the sun, his mother was the moon, and then around them were 12 stars, which was the nation of Israel or the people of Israel. It's a lot of the same imagery, the prophetic symbolism. Here what John is seeing is he's seeing this woman with the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, and then from this woman comes a Messiah. And instead of the focus being Joseph, the focus is Jesus Christ, and then uh, some of the things that happen after he shows up on the scene. As we read, we'll get better understanding of what he's seeing here. He says, A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head there were twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. And so he says he sees another sign or a symbol. So there's symbolism here. He says, I saw a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. Uh, verse 4, His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, she might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. This woman isn't just signifying Mary, the mother of Jesus. The woman was signifying ancient Israel who was in covenant with God. And from Israel came the Messiah. The child she was pregnant with is the Messiah. It says that he is to rule and reign all the nations with a rod of iron. Obviously, that is speaking about Jesus. It says that her child was caught up to God and to his throne. There's no arguing this is Jesus, the Messiah. Also, there is absolutely no argument that this great red dragon that John saw is Satan himself. It says he has seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. Go back and read Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. We see a lot of the same imagery. 
these seven heads or seven uh, empires that attacked God's people, ancient Israel, through history. And these ten horns talk about these ten nations that came out of these empires. We'll get to some of that later. Uh, But Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 both speaks about this. We see seven heads being those empires, ancient Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece. And then there's kind of a uniqueness to the seventh being ancient Rome. But we also see some a future Roman Empire where the Antichrist is going to come from, which represents that future empire of the Antichrist. And we see nations that follow the beast. We read about it in Daniel chapter 7, Revelation chapter 13, and chapter 17. We'll get to some of that later. There's a lot of parallel scriptures to what uh, John is seeing here. We're not going to get too deep into that today. But what John is seeing here is he's seeing Satan attacking Israel. The woman represents Israel. That's where Christ came from. He came from Israel, and he tried to attack that child. He tried to destroy the Messiah, but he was caught up to the throne of God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5 says, And in that process, Israel is no longer just ethnic Israel, but God opened the door for Israel to now be the covenant people of God, being both Greek and Gentile and Jew alike, those who are in the covenant with God, being Israel. It doesn't mean that he's done with ethnic Israel. It's just that he opened the door for other nations to come in and now be the covenant people. And when Christ ascended to the throne... It says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days, which is almost three and a half years. It's the exact same days we read about last week in Revelation chapter 11, when there are going to be two prophets or two witnesses that are going to rise up, and they're going to come to power, and they're going to protect God's people, and they're going to have power to call plagues down from heaven and attack the Antichrist and his empire. Here it says that the woman fled into the wilderness uh, where she's going to be nourished for 1,260 days. Some people will read this and think that these things were fulfilled uh, when Christ died for about three and a half years. God was protecting Israel, but that's not what's being spoken of here. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ before Jesus comes back, whenever the Antichrist rises to power, whenever the child that the woman bore was caught up with God. After that event, the woman, or God's people, fled into the wilderness where she's going to be protected by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Notice, John says, which she is to be nourished for this. Historic premillennialism would teach that this is not something that happened in our past, that this section here is speaking of the last three and a half years of human history. So before we go any further, a quick recap. The first six verses, John sees this sign or this symbol of ethnic Israel producing the Messiah, and then the Messiah being caught up with God on his throne, obviously speaking of Jesus ascending to the Father. And then it starts to talk about this 1,260 days. Before we continue to read, uh, verse 4 says that his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. What that speaks of is Satan leading a third of God's angels in rebellion against his authority. It says that he swept a third of the stars down, those stars being angels. The Bible says in Ezekiel that he was in the garden 
of Eden uh, before he fell. Satan was in the garden when he fell, and then he tried to ascend to the mountain of God. Whenever he sinned against God and rebelled against God, he obviously convinced a third of the angels to follow in his rebellion. So whenever we talk about demons and devils, that's what we're talking about. We have Satan, who was the first to rebel against God, and then a multitude of angels who followed him who are now considered demons or unclean spirits, vile things. And so that's what that first section is talking about. So now let's keep reading here in verse 7. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there is no longer any place for them in heaven. So some like to think that this is a spiritual battle that happened in the past, but historic premillennialism would suggest that this spiritual battle is one that takes place in the last days sometime after Jesus ascended to the Father. One of the details of this battle is that Satan is thrown down to the earth and he loses his authority in the heavenly realms. Now, if that's in our past, then how come Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is an important detail to understand this chapter. Satan and and demonic powers, they are still in heavenly realms. They're not bound today and in the pits of hell. The Apostle Paul told the early church, he said that we're in a spiritual battle and we are fighting spiritual entities. He says that the weapons of our warfare are not physical, but they're spiritual. They're powerful to tear down strongholds, these spiritual entities. In Ephesians, he said that we're fighting against cosmic powers in heavenly places. Well, in the last days, there's going to be the spiritual battle, and Satan is going to lose his authority in the heavenly realms that he has. Michael is going to cast him down to the earth. So no longer is Satan going to have authority to rule in heavenly places. He's not going to have power in heavenly places, but he's going to be cast on the earth. And one of the results of that is that he's going to give his power to a human being. He's going to give his power to a man. And this man, or the Antichrist, is going to be, in a sense, is going to be his representative here on earth. Because remember, he doesn't have power in the heavenly realms anymore. Earlier in the chapter, it says that he... He swept angels down with him. But here in this spiritual battle, Michael cast him down to the earth. And that's one reason why he's going to manifest his power to a man because he's going to start focusing on working against God's people in a physical realm and not just from the heavenly realms. I know there's a lot to that, but let's keep reading. Maybe uh, we'll have some better clarity. Verse 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. Postmillennialism would say that that what we're about to read was the past event whenever Jesus ascended into the heavens, whenever Christ died on the cross and resurrected, that Satan was bound at that time. And they would say that this passage that we're reading explains that event. Here's a dilemma in that way of thinking. If Satan was bound, then that means he's not on the earth. Later, Revelation uh, says that whenever Christ returns, that Satan is going to be bound as Christ rules and reigns here on earth. But this passage doesn't say that he's bound. It just says that he loses some heavenly authority, but he comes to the earth in great wrath. So what's being explained here after this spiritual battle 
is that Satan loses his heavenly authority, but he's cast down to the earth, and as he's cast down on earth, he has great wrath. So Satan still is not bound in this season that John is explaining here through this prophetic picture. It says that he was thrown down to earth, and the angels were thrown down with him. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. If you read just a couple of these verses, you would read that and say, oh yeah, that's definitely whenever Jesus died on the cross and resurrected. But we have to take all the details here and place it appropriately in the redemptive story. It speaks of whenever Satan is cast down, loses some heavenly authority, loses a foothold in the heavenly realms. The heavens rejoice and say, now is the salvation power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ has, have come. And it speaks of that spiritual victory that Michael and his angels had over the enemy. And heaven declares the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority that is available through Christ, saying that it, is, it has come. And it rejoices because the accuser who is in these heavenly realms accusing the brethren, accusing the people of God, he's now thrown down and God's people have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, even in the midst of the trials and the tribulation. Look what verse 12 says. It says, Therefore rejoice. O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth, and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. So after this spiritual battle, Satan is cast to the earth, but he's not cast and powerless. He's just powerless out of the heavenly realms. But here on earth, he has great wrath. And the heavenly warning is, Be warned, O people of the earth, because Satan is now coming in great wrath against you who dwell on earth. And that's what these next verses are talking about, some of Satan's battle plan in those last days. Also, Satan doesn't know when Jesus is coming back. Satan doesn't know uh, that his time is short right now. But there's going to come a time where he is cast out of the heavenly cosmic realms, and at that point he's going to know my time is running short. The clock is ticking. I only have a short amount of time to rebel against God and turn people's hearts away from God. He doesn't know when God is going to do these things, but he will know because he understands prophecy. He knows that whenever he's cast out of the heavenly realms and uh, his power is limited from just an earthly perspective, he knows that his time is short and he's going to, in great wrath, attack God's people. Here's what that's going to practically look like. Verse 13, And when I saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman, meaning he pursued the covenant people of God. He's attacking them. Remember, the woman is ethnic Israel. It's where the Messiah came from, ethnic Israel. It says that, who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. That may be kind of confusing in our modern time what that means. Here's what this means. A time is one, times is two, and half a time is obviously half of one. Here's what that's saying. 
one plus two plus a half, which equals three and a half. Earlier in the chapter, it says uh, 1,260 days, which is almost three and a half years. Again, chapter 11, it says the same thing. It says chapter 11 for 42 months, which is three and a half years. The Antichrist will have power around Jerusalem. The book of Daniel speaks about a seven-year timeline, and it specifies at the end of that seven-year timeline, which would be three and a half years, that the Antichrist is going to break covenant and a treaty with Israel, and he's going to attack Israel, the covenant people. He's going to break that covenant. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24. And so what this passage is saying here, the Spirit is saying through John in those last days, those last three and a half years, is that he's going to attack Israel. The treaty is going to be made with Israel, but in that last three and a half years, he is going to turn and he is going to attack Israel. The only thing is, Israel is going to be protected by the two wings of the great eagle. In the wilderness, they're going to be nourished. Just like it says earlier in the chapter, I think, uh, verse 6. Of course, we'll know more about it in the last days, in the last three and a half years of history. But I happen to believe that those two witnesses are the two wings of the great eagle. It says that these two have the power to cast plagues down on earth and they're going to cast they're going to be in Jerusalem they're going to be protecting God's covenant people and the antichrist is going to declare war against them the antichrist is being used by Satan to uh, to attack these two yet they're unsuccessful for the 1260 days for that three and a half years in the last three and a half years of human history before Christ returns what we're going to see is Satan turn his wrath towards God's people ethnic Israel but it's not limited to ethnic Israel, it goes into the covenant people of God, which is the born-again believer. Let's keep reading. It says, The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out of his mouth. Now remember, these are signs. They're prophetic symbols. But they're prophetic symbols of very real situations, very real individuals. So the dragon attacked the woman, attacked Israel, but was unsuccessful because they were protected. There was a protection in the wilderness, possibly even outside of Jerusalem. But look at verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Who are the rest of her offspring? Who's the rest of Israel's offspring or the offspring of Abraham? We know that it is the born-again new covenant believer. So the enemy went to attack first ethnic Israel, but was unsuccessful. And then he turned against the new covenant believer, the rest of the offspring of Israel or the offspring of Abraham. And to finalize that thought, it says at the end of the verse, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, which would be the new covenant Christian the born-again believer. And he stood on the sand of the sea, being that ancient dragon. So here's what these prophetic signs and symbols are representing. It's saying that Satan is going to be cast down out of the heavenly realms. He's going to lose his heavenly authority that he has, Paul says that he has it right now, says that uh, there are cosmic powers in heavenly places. But in in the last days, the enemy is going to lose that heavenly authority, no longer be in heavenly places, and he is going to manifest on earth. He's going to attack 
Israel, but he's going to be unsuccessful, and then he is going to de- declare war against the new covenant Christian. Here's what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. When you see the abomination of desolation, which that is the beginning of that three and a half years, when you see that abomination of desolation is when the Antichrist is going to rise to power, he's going to declare himself God, and he is going to make war against the saints. And he's going to war for three and a half years. Jesus said that it'll be the worst persecution and tribulation, the great tribulation. It'll be worse than any other time of persecution or tribulation in history or will ever be again. That's what a lot of this chapter here, chapter 12, is speaking about. This is some of the battle plan of Satan, that in those last three and a half years, he is going to war against Israel, and he's going to turn and war against God's people in great wrath. And then chapter 13 even gives greater detail as how he's going to make that happen, some of the logistics of what's going to happen here. And we see two different beasts explained. The first beast explains the Antichrist, And the second beast represents the false prophet. Later in the book of Revelation, he's called the false prophet, which is going to be a leader who is declaring that this Antichrist is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, and he's going to demand the world to worship. The Antichrist is going to unite many uh, across the globe in a political way, And this false prophet is going to unite a lot of the religions of the world to fall into subjection and worship the Antichrist. And that's some of the logistics of how Satan is going to give his power and his authority and manifest on earth uh, in a physical way. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 12 ends with a dragon standing on the sand of the sea. And here in chapter 13, we're seeing the rise of the Antichrist. And again, this is prophetic symbolism, imagery, but it's explaining something very real. It says, And I saw beasts rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, and with ten diadems on his horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Here's what that speaks to. It speaks of the demonic spirit that has inspired those seven empires that we talked about uh, earlier in history. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, ancient Rome, and even a future revived Roman Empire. Those are the seven heads. And then the ten horns coming out of those seven heads would be seven nations coming out of those empires. And then the ten diadems speaks about the the authority and the power of those ten nations. Again, Daniel speaks of this as well. Historic premillennialism would say, would teach that they're gonna in the last days there are gonna be ten nations that rise to power that the Antichrist has authority over, and he uses them to to rule and to reign the globe. It says they has blasphemous names on its heads. These nations are going to blaspheme Jesus Christ. They're gonna reject Christianity, the Christian religion, and the Christian way of life. Those na- and, and we see the world turning that way, uh, to be honest, in our generation. The nations aren't going to become better and better and more godly and more godly. In fact, in the last days, before Jesus comes back, the leading nations of the earth are going to be blasphemous against God and against his Christ. And then verse 2, the beast represents the Antichrist and his characteristics. He's like a leopard, which would speak of his swift rise to power. He is like a bear. He has strength to do the works. 
Uh, he's like a lion who speaks with authority. And then the dragon represents Satan, and it says that Satan gives his power and his authority to this man. He's going to be the most demonized man in all of human history. He's going to be worse than Adolf Hitler. He's going to be worse than Stalin. He's going to be worse than Emperor Nero. These guys are, are just world leaders that were evil and did evil things in human history. Won't touch this man. He's going to have the full authority and power and dominion of Satan on earth. It, it's like Jesus who walked on earth, who, had, who was God on earth. This Antichrist, is go- this man is going to be Satan on earth, so to speak. Just like Christ was the exact imprint of the Father, the Antichrist is going to be the imprint of Satan on earth. Verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. There will be a, a type of supernatural healing that takes place for the Antichrist. And some even believe that the Antichrist might appear to be dead and be resurrected by the power of Satan. Again, I, whether that's true or not, uh, but there will be he will be wounded and uh, he will be supernaturally healed and the whole earth is going to marvel at him. It says, And they worship the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And so the world is going to be subject to this man, the Antichrist, and they're going to literally worship Satan and worship the Antichrist because of his power and his authority, the dominion that he has. And he's going to turn the world's population into having a hatred towards God. Verse 5 says, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It's funny how specific Scripture is about this. Chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, for that three and a half years is going to be a horrible time in human history. The Antichrist is going to have authority. He's going to have power uh, over the nations. Uh, They're going to trample the holy city. They're going to attack God's people, God's covenant people. And for uh, 42 months, for three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to have authority and power. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, and that is those who dwell in heaven. Again, he is going to have a severe hatred against God, and he is going to turn the nations to also have a hatred against God and those who dwell with God. Verse 7, Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. There are those who believe that in those last that the last years of human history before Jesus returns, that Christians are going to be ruling the earth. That's just not what the Bible says. Before Christ comes back, the Antichrist is actually going to have the authority to conquer many Christians. He's going to slaughter them, going to kill them. It says that he was allowed to make war against the saints. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 24, it will be the worst time of tribulation in human history uh, that there's ever been or ever will be. That's what this is speaking to here, the Great Tribulation. Notice that the saints aren't raptured out and saved from this. It says that, that the Antichrist will have power to conquer them. Verse 8, And all who dwell on earth will worship it, or the Antichrist, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundations of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain, meaning those who are not born again, those who have received salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. It says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Not just physical ears, but those who can discern spiritual things, 
who have the Spirit of God within them to hear what the Spirit is saying through the Word. Verse 10, he says, So hear this, If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Here's what Jesus said about the Great Tribulation. He said, I'm telling you that some of you are going to go and be slain. Some of you are going to be taken captive, and some of you are going to be slain. You're going to have to give your life, and that's just the way it's going to happen. But he ends that word by saying, this is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. He's not saying, hey, I'm just going to I'm going to rapture you and keep you away from all this tribulation, all this hard stuff. He actually says some of you are going to die. You're going to have your life taken from you. Some of you are going to be taken captive. But I'm telling you this so that you may endure, that you may have faith. So he gives us this detail so that we can have faith and endure the things that are going to take place, which means we're going to be here. We're not going to be here when God pours out the bowls of wrath on the earth. We haven't got there in Revelation yet. Whenever Satan comes down and he, and his wrath is on the earth, it's his wrath that attacks God's people. And we will be here during that time. And he says, but be faithful and endure all the way to the end. Even if you are taken captive and even if you are slain, be faithful as Satan is operating in his wrath and the Antichrist declares war against you. Remain faithful. Verse 11, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Some would say that in his authority, it's going to be expressed in gentleness like a lamb. His horns or his authority will be like a lamb, but he'll speak like a dragon, which he'll speak with deceitful. He'll speak like the dragon who is the deceiver. He'll be able to deceive and lead many away from truth. He'll also speak with authority. Verse 12, it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. So what you're going to see is that man, the Antichrist, is rising to power. There's going to be another arise, another man who's going to rise, who's going to also operate in power and authority, who's going to work the wonders as he is subject to the Antichrist, the first beast, and he's going to call for the worship of that first beast. It says, whose mortal wound was healed. Remember earlier in the chapter how there's a wound, but a mortal wound, but he was healed? This false prophet is going to point to this Antichrist and reveal that, that look at his mortal wound, he was supernaturally healed. He is the Christ, he is the Messiah, and he is going to call for the globe to worship this man. It says that this beast performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to the earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast or the Antichrist, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Do you remember when God would do these plagues in Egypt whenever through Moses and Aaron? And then Pharaoh's priest would perform other miracles and signs. That's what this is going to be like. Remember, there are going to be two prophets who are going to be performing signs and wonders, and they're going to be calling plagues down from heaven. But like the false priest of Egypt, this false prophet is going to also perform signs and wonders. And through his signs and wonders, he's going to deceive many to worship 
this beast or the Antichrist who was wounded and was healed. And then he's going to call for an image to be erected, to be made in honor of this man, the Antichrist, a lot like the image of Babylon. And they demanded that everyone would bow down and worship towards this image. Uh, but God's people, remember, there's a remnant who, who refused to do that. Well, in the last days, again, the false prophet is going to demand the worship of this image, the image of the beast. But look at what verse 15 says. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who had not worshipped the image of the beast be slain. I think there are two scenarios here that are possible, and then I'll tell you which one I think. Some believe that this false prophet is going to have some kind of, this type of holograph uh, image of the man who digitally will be able to speak. And, and John obviously didn't have that type of knowledge, but he said that he made an image and it, he gave it power to speak. Is that possible? Yes, obviously that's possible. That could be what it's speaking to. The other option is that by the demonic power and authority that he has by Satan, he actually, he's given power and authority to make this image speak. And that's kind of where I lean. Again, who knows? We'll find out in the last three and a half years of human history. But either way, he makes this image, and either supernaturally by demonic power, by the demonic power of Satan, or you could say by a hologram or technology, he makes this image speak, and people worship the image. But those who do not worship, he has the legal right to be killed. He causes those who do not worship the image that people will have the legal right to kill them. It says that he might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. This speaks of the abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke about, what Jesus spoke about, what, what Peter the apostle talked about in his writings. Verse 16 says, Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is, the name of the beast or the Antichrist, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, that the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666, or some manuscripts say 616. Either way, 666 or 616. Some people like to think that that was Emperor Nero because a lot of the ancient Greek and the language back then, there's numerology and his name, his numeric value of Nero was 666. And so they say, oh, look, that's obviously the Antichrist. But he doesn't fulfill the prophecies of the Antichrist. (laughs) It says logistically that, that if you don't take the mark of the beast that you won't be able to buy or sell. It's on the right hand or the forehead. He says, this calls for wisdom. So understand what I'm saying to you. If we take the rest of that chapter, first off, Nero didn't have a mortal wound and was supernaturally healed. He didn't have a false prophet who erected an image of him and it gave him power to speak. He didn't demand that the peoples and the nations of the earth would fall and worship him. He didn't have the right to slay all those who didn't worship the image of Nero. Those those things didn't happen. And again, this time speaks of 42 months or 1,260 days or, or three and a half years that this is going to take place. None of that is fulfilled in Nero. We can't say that his name numerically has 
his value of 666, therefore he has to be the Antichrist. We can't pretend to know every single detail about how this is going to happen, but somehow, I don't, th- I don't think it's a tattoo. That's the way the old, growing up, that's what they used to teach. That some, you're going to get a tattoo of 666 on your hand or your, your forehead. I don't believe that's going to be true. But whether it is a, a type of chip, whether it is uh, some kind of implant thing, whether it's a mark, who, all that is yet to be determined. I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that the vaccine, the, some people say that the COVID vaccine uh, was the mark of the beast or a social security number is a mark of the beast. None of those things are the mark of the beast. COVID vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Social security number is not the mark of the beast. Whenever the mark of the beast comes, It will be something that if you refuse to take it and worship the man, the Antichrist, you will be killed. You will not have the ability to buy or sell. That's what will determine the mark of the beast. It will be on the right hand or the forehead, and if you refuse it or to refuse to worship the beast, you'll not be able to buy or sell without it. And ultimately, you have the very real possibility of being slaughtered if you don't take it. Somehow... The mark of the beast will have 666 in it or 616. We can try to figure out exactly what that is, but we can be confident that when that day comes, Bible-believing, Bible-knowing Christians will be able to identify this is the mark of the beast, this is the Antichrist, this is the false prophet. Do not take this. I know that's a lot in these two chapters, and it may leave you with more questions than it does answers, but those questions are good. I want to encourage you to go through Read these chapters. Don't just read them alone. Read all the book of Revelation. Go back and read what Jesus said. Read what the apostles said. Go back and read the book of Daniel. And as you continue to dive in, if you ask God, Father, give me wisdom. Help me understand. Give me revelation of what the word of God says. Give me a mind to comprehend it. Rest assured, I am confident that he will do that. As much as I hate to say it, that's all the time that we have for today. I hope that you enjoyed this episode, and it creates a fire. It, it fuels the fire inside of you to go deep and see what God is saying to his church about the last days. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, if you have further questions, you want to continue the conversation, feel free to email me at pastorjgunter at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have and, and continue this dialogue. But with that, let's go ahead and end with a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that in the midst of trial and tribulation, persecution, that you give us hope in knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back and he is going to save his people. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith to endure the last days and serve you well with all wisdom and faithfulness. Let the gospel go forth and let it be proclaimed in every tribe, in every nation, in every tongue. And let your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.